Want one of these? Yeah, definitely. I thought they were going to be bigger with more chocolate. They look kind of like those sea cucumbers. <laughs> it's like a little chocolate sea cucumber. I don't <laughs> like sea cucumber. I know, it's a bit sluggish. I was wondering if it put you off. I want them to be like Viennese, something or other. Yeah, they're not quite... They're nice. I think you should dip them dry. in your tea, yeah. What are they called? They're called... Masserini, coca and hazelnut biscuits. So we can taste hazelnut, but not chocolate. Mm. They're for dunking with your hot chocolate. They're for dunking good here. From Lo-Fi Arts, this is Refigure with Chris and Reefa. A weekly dive into the arts, culture, tech and diversity. Nice. Hello. Hello. Hello Reefa. how are you? I've got my mouth full of biscuit. Well in that case I'll say hello and welcome to Refigure Pod, our weekly deep dive into fun, culture, arts, tech and diversity. I'm Christopher. And I'm Reefa. And how are you today, Reefa? I'm super stoked. I've had a very exciting day. Excellent. And you're going to tell us about that in a bit. Yeah. We've got uh, three main topics for you this week. Reefa's going to report back from the Women of the Year Awards. I just watched uh, 22nd July, the new film by Paul Greengrass. And we both went to a little kind of symposium, mini conference at the Design Museum called Convivial Tools. So we'll tell you about that first. Oh yeah, first. post bag. Dear listener, Reefa is nodding furiously but not saying anything. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, okay, Mr Jim Bob had something to say, didn't he? Oh, lovely Jim Bob. Tweeted that we are his favourite arts and culture podcast. Yay! What? I know. Um, Andy Washington got in touch, the tour manager we mentioned last week, to insist that you are correct, Reefa. He is not a guru. Or a GNU. Somebody I know in Brighton called John Davison. I bumped into him and he told me that he absolutely loved the podcast. You seem to be a bit uh, taken aback when people are actually listening. I am. I am taken aback because I don't know what the data is because you don't tell me because that might freak me out, the amount of people that are listening. Anyway, it was super nice to hear that he was listening and enjoying it. Oh, that's good. Lovely Mark Ollington got in touch um, to give some data about how successful the first episode of Doctor Who was, despite me getting a bit nonplussed by it last week. He said that the first episode got 10.5 million viewers live, watching actually live, which means it's the highest rated Doctor Who episode since it came back. So I was right. Apart from Christmas specials. What, that you said it was going to be successful? No, that I was right. Yes, you were right. (laughs) (laughs) I was right that despite your worries about the episode it went down super well with the general public and it picked up even more (laughs) i can't concentrate now you're doing a funny face at me apparently according to mark you add to that the viewers on like iplayer and it's massive it's just absolutely huge so nobody's listening to me everyone agrees with you that's brilliant (laughs) because there was lots to be happy about and isn't that great isn't that fantastic that 10 gazillion people absolutely loved it and they all were wrapped watching it even though some of it didn't quite make sense because as i said 
It's Doctor Who, isn't it? Stats don't lie. Stats don't lie, it's very good. So, can I talk about my thing now? Yeah, I'm you can. It's so exciting. So, my main thing this week, I've literally just walked in the door from spending the day at the Women of the Year Awards in London. It was a really lovely thing to get invited to. My friend Natalie Burns invited me along at short notice and it was at the Intercontinental London Hotel at Park Lane and there was proper paparazzi outside for all the celebs that were there. It's a annual gathering that's been going on for years and years now and the main Woman of the Year Award went to Dr Anne-Marie Ima Farden and she is the founder of STEMETs. She's the head STEMET. She's made strides to get young women into those science, technology, engineering, maths. She's really funny and she got on stage and she knew she was going to win, but she was really humble as well. Her CV is that she was one of the youngest people. She was the youngest girl ever to get A-level computing when she was 11. One of the youngest at 20 to be awarded a master's in maths and computer science by the University of Oxford. She was named eighth most influential woman in IT in 2016. She's got an MBE and she's a young black woman. So I'm really pleased that she got that award. Um, It was a beautiful lunch. And in the audience were people like Natalie Dormer, Fern Cotton, Claudia Winkleman, and Floella Benjamin and Doreen Lawrence. And uh, me and Natalie met and chatted with Deborah Francis-White from the Guilty Feminist podcast. We even chatted to Kate Adey. She was lovely. On our table was also Sophie Han, who's won multiple awards at Olympics, and she's only 21. Touched her medals. They're huge. One of the criteria for coming to this event, and there was probably about 300 women in the room, maybe no, 400 women in the room, all high achievers in their field, they had to bring their medals. So she brought like five medals with her. That's amazing. And she's a para-Olympian. That was uh, really inspiring to meet these women and have a fantastic lunch. And we got an amazing goodie bag with loads of books and things to put on our face and biscuits and whatnot. I've only been to a few of these kind of posh award ceremonies before. And this one was by far the most interesting and the most friendly. I met all kinds of interesting people. Everyone was super friendly and open and wanted to chat and connect. And one of the weirdest things was that at the beginning, a school choir came in of young women from southwest London, they said. And they said they were the Burntwood School Choir, which was the school that I went to. Oh, that's really sweet. In Tooting. Did you have a little moment? I had a moment. And also they were so nice and they sang a song that was based on an Emily Pankhurst poem. So it was really beautiful and um, now I'm in with the in crowd. You said it was kind of quite carefully non-political, although it was obviously there were some activist people in the room. But you also mentioned there was like Tory MPs and Labour MPs and like all kinds of politicians in the room. Yeah. Last year, Theresa May was there. And this year, there was exactly what you said. A good mix of women from both sides. Vicky Corran was there. Claudia Winkleman was there. Yeah, I said that already. Yeah. Yeah, it was really uplifting. And it didn't feel competitive at all. It felt like a celebration, a true celebration of women from all walks of life. What I liked about it most was that this sort of egalitarian nature of it, that whatever the kind of status... I mean, Claudia Winkleman is the highest paid woman in the BBC. 
she was probably one of the most famous people in the UK and she was there with her mum, Eve Pollard. And there was lots of other people who maybe you recognised, maybe you didn't recognise. There was a good mix of people of colour as well. And the fact that a black woman won it, they sold me. They had me at the first hurdle. Because some of these events you go to and people act, even the staff at hotels sometimes can act unfriendly. So when you go to an event and you all feel welcome and you all, like, it doesn't matter whether you're famous or not famous or the CEO or just the one man band, one woman band, it's what's important is that we're all people and that we're all women and we all we all were moved by the different stories that we heard. What was your favourite thing in the goodie bag? There's a £50 voucher in the goodie bag for some fancy she shop in London. Oh, wow. That's exciting. It's exciting. The goodie bag was massive and full, like, proper heavy. It was like a shopping bag full of stuff. I've never had a goodie bag like it. So, yeah, goodie bags lunch, wine, that's the kind of event I like to go to now. So what's your pick of the week? I just watched uh, 22 July, the Paul Greengrass film, which has showed up on Netflix. It's had a bit of uh, hype because it's the first time Netflix have done a really wide cinema release at the same time. So sometimes Netflix do release films into the cinema just on a very limited run in order to make them eligible for the awards. But this one, 22 July, has had a, not a huge release, but a proper cinema release. Paul Greengrass is the the born supremacy type guy. He's a brilliant director and he's written and directed this film. It's about a real event in history, in recent history, and it's set in Norway and he's used an entirely Norwegian cast and crew but it's shot in English, which is slightly weird, but it actually works really well. It's the story of Andres Breivik's massacre that happened in 2011. So this neo-Nazi bloke set off a bomb in a building near the parliament in Oslo. And while everyone in Oslo, like all the police and the military and the politicians, were dealing with that, beginning to get to grips with that, it was a big bomb. But while that was all going on, the same bloke drove in a car to an island where a load of children were taking part in a like a political summer camp and he killed 69 kids on this island he dressed up as a it's really hard watch it's really tough but then the bulk of the film is the aftermath and how norway deals with this huge terrorist attack by this one bloke and also his defense where the norwegian very progressive justice system is kind of built to give him a chance to speak and he's he starts to try to use the court to grandstand. I found it incredibly powerful, difficult watch. I watched it on my own because you were woman of the year. I mean, it was one of those things where it's not that gory, but it's gory enough. And all the way through you're reacting, but then almost you reach the point where you have to keep watching because you owe the story itself some sort of debt of continuing to watch to the end. Funnily enough... In so many cases, Greengrass is quite a flamboyant director. Like He's brilliant at things like action adventures. But he becomes a bit of an invisible director in it. He's so determined just to let the thing unfold as it happened, or as his interpretation of it is, that it, it feels undirected. It feels It's not, of course, it's very crafted, but it feels very simple, very understated, like a TV movie, like a, like a documentary or something. And it's all the better for it 
I'm not saying I'd recommend it as a really enjoyable movie on Netflix, but it it is really worth seeing if you've got the stomach for it. It's also really pertinent for now because of the rise of the far right everywhere, and they kind of mention that almost. They talk about Poland, the United Kingdom, Stormfront in the US, how the far right is galvanising and rising. They are able to make these points without at any point giving this guy credence. Anyway, I really would recommend it if you've got the stomach for it. It's called 22 July. It's quite up the top of the kind of Netflix priorities at the moment. I had to take a break halfway through. I just had to. No, and then... Sometimes you have to with some things. You can't yeah. binge everything. Funnily enough, there's also another film out this month called Utoya, which is the name of the island. And that one's a single shot film. So someone's, I can't even imagine... Popper's directed a single shot film set entirely on the island as the massacre takes place, which just sounds terrifying. Um, I don't know if I want to see that. Are we going to talk about what we did at the weekend? Yeah, the other thing we did was we went up to London to the Design Museum to a kind of symposium, a one-day mini-conference thing called Convivial Tools. So there's an Austrian philosopher who was best known in the late 60s, early 70s, called Ivan Illich. And he's one of my absolute heroes, my sort of whole-life heroes. He wrote a really important short book or long essay called Deschooling Society. And he also wrote in 1973 a very important book called Tools for Conviviality. In some ways, he's quite forgotten now. He survived through till 2002 and he lived mostly in Mexico, especially at the end of his life. But what's happened is in the years since he died, his thoughts and his ideas have resonated around the world, especially with kind of commons movements and um, ecological and or anti-capitalist and or um, anti-overdevelopment movements look to Illich as a pioneering thinker and a lot of his a lot of his work feels very prescient so we went along to this one day symposium that was kind of in his name one of the funniest things in the in the symposium where they just had lots of different panels and people giving standing up and doing reflections on his work not really discussing his work in too much detail but one of the things that somebody threw out into the audience I'm sure all of you like cook with other people and that's like communal eating communal making food is like part of society <laughs> and they threw it out to the audience and said you know um who here doesn't do that and me and chris put our hands up because like <laughs> we were the only ones just like phoning delivery count but yeah i think we were in a we were in a group of academics and fun loving philosopher theorists so it's like obviously they sit around thinking about what they're going to cook together all the time around a wooden table anyway my friend Dougald Hein travelled over from Westeros in Sweden to do what they called a reflection, which is a bit like a short keynote, I guess. He helped create Dark Mountain Project and he helped create School of Everything and Space Makers. So he's a real instigator of convivial, informal, voluntary education projects. And he's currently working on a really fascinating project in Sweden called A School Called Home, where everyone contributes something and everyone learns something. I mean, I don't know that much about it because I haven't been yet. Dougald spoke because he went to Kwanavaka, which is where Ivan Illich lived at the end of his life, for the fifth anniversary of his death celebration back in 2006. And he met a load of Illich's friends. 
similarly to me, Dougald has taken inspiration from Illich his whole life, although he's done loads with it and I've done fuck all with it. But he is a really fascinating heart-led speaker and I love the way he talks. It's much more informal and anti-institutionalised right at its core, right in the language he uses and the way he talks to people than some of the other speakers, even though they perhaps intellectually were saying similar things, they're still tiny bits stuck in formalised, top-down, I'm-talking-to-you-from-a-lectern-type conversations. And I always think Dougal brings something absolutely magic in terms of his real informality and his in fact he a few years ago he got me off powerpoint and he, <laughs> he got you off what a few years ago <laughs> it was his inspiration that stopped me using like powerpoint and things like that for talks and took me back to just written notes i think there's something really powerful in the way he speaks anyway i'm bigging Toward, up too much towards the end of the the day they did something that they all thought was pretty radical yeah. because apparently in, in one of the books Illich talks about um, not using microphones and technology and that everyone should just be able to sit around a table and chat so they wanted everyone to gather a bit more together and they made a big deal about everybody moving their chairs close to the stage and they talked about how we want to break down this barrier of us and them in the space and yet no one could get off the stage they really were attached to their seats on the stage so then in the end you had four white blokes on the stage you know listening to everybody and asking them questions so it was interesting in lots of ways but I I was fine with with any event I'm always thinking about how could I do this better or what what would be nicer and we were in a windowless room and what looked more interesting I think was everybody sitting outside having eating and actually living it as well but you know you never know when you go to events who you'll meet or what inspiration you'll get and the fact that I've even got interested in this philosopher is probably enough for me. Uh, The other what they called a reflection was Joseph Reichert who's one of the most renowned historians and critics in the world basically he's an incredibly eminent figure he wrote that book uh, what's it called Um, On Adam's House in Paradise which is all about primitive huts the primitive hut as a sort of mode of architectural history. Anyway, he's brilliant, and he's very elderly now, and he was clearly frail, but it was lovely. That was one of the best bits, because he just told anecdotes about meeting Illich and hanging out with him, and he really painted a vivid picture of that move to informality within Illich's own work. So when he was lecturing, Illich was a really magnetic, popular lecturer, to the point that it got him in trouble with a lot of universities, because he would... Well, because he was much better and much more impactful than many of the other professors who were perhaps better known than him at the time or whatever. Anyway, that was great. There's a kind of troubling undercurrent of people just basically talking about what they're doing anyway and then sort of reflecting it through a vague reference back to Illich's philosophies. And I was a bit unsure about that. Joseph Grimes really annoyed me. I'm sure he's brilliant. He was um, chairing a panel, but his own introduction of his own work went on possibly it was the longest talk of the day except it was supposed to be just an introduction to a panel and then he left like a third of the entire panel time left for the other three people to introduce their work and it was just okay I don't need to know about your work that much I can look you up talk about Illich talk about the ideas rather than just doing your CV and wasting a panel time anyway so that was a a very droney voice as well (laughs) poor play would be an horrible to say I know but the thing is non-famous academic academics sometimes do that and they're kind of thinking they're having doing a lecture and that we've all paid to come and see him and that was just (laughs) that was just rude 
when you do events as well like we were coming up from brighton we managed to get there despite the rail replacement service and yet everything was running late it's like we can say oh we're gonna like do it all you know flowing with everything well then don't have an agenda and don't have people at set times just don't have any structure then but if you're going to have a structure then make sure people have a proper lunch break and they have like you know that's nice for your audience in the past when i've done events with two gold they tend to be like around a campfire or like in a shed in the woods or something but they still run to time yeah that's not always but on a lot of times it's just courtesy to your audience i'm glad i went because sometimes I get intimidated by events that I think are going to be really academic. There was a brilliant event a couple of years ago now called um, Digital Blackness that ran for the first time in Sussex University. And if it wasn't for the image that they used, I would have thought it was going to be a really academic conference because everybody's title sounded like a thesis. And then when I actually went along, all the panels and the speakers were all incredibly interesting and and beautifully presented and it was totally totally accessible and yet the brochure put everybody off from going so there was only there was a very small attendance so all i'm saying is these sorts of things especially when it's somebody like clearly who wanted to be accessible to make it a little bit um overly florid probably doesn't help but anyway i was heartened that i actually got something out of it yeah so that was uh, convivial tools and you can't go to it because it was just a two-day thing. What are you reading for? 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 So, what are you reading for? Reef for treacle beacle. Testing. 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 What I'm reading this week is a book called The Kindness Method by Sharu Izadi, and the subtitle is Changing Habits for Good. You're going to love this, science fans. It's a sort of self-help book, and it's by a behavioural change specialist who started a career in the NHS, and she worked with substance abuse treatments. And it's basically a method to help yourself change habits, such as changing jobs or improving your relationship or cutting down on drinking or getting into more exercise. But she gives you real tools and um, her her way of writing is really gentle, really different because I've read a lot of self-help books over the years and I don't like books like Tim Ferriss's books and I don't like Anthony Robbins stuff and it's all very show me the money, you know, it's like motivational speakers type stuff. This is much more science-based but it's not written in a kind of bashing you over the head with it because sometimes all these books can make you feel like really inadequate (laughs) because you haven't achieved as much as you think you should have anyway i'm enjoying it it's got a lovely sparkly cover as well look and actually some of the tools that i use in my work when i'm mentoring are very similar to what she's using which i've just been doing anyway excellent and what's it called again it's called the kindness method by sharu izadi i-z-a-d-i Anyway, what are you reading, Christy T? What are you reading? <laughs> Every few years I do re-engage with Ivan Illich anyway. And I hadn't done really for a while. It's a bit like the West Wing for me. Every few years I'll like re-watch the whole West Wing. Not only Fools and Horses. No, not only Fools and Horses because there's only one good joke in that. No, there isn't. No, I didn't say that. Um, anyway, Ivan Illich, we went to the thing... And that's a good excuse to go back and read a load of Ivan Illich 
And because we went to the thing and it's about convivial tools, I'm reading Even Illich's Tools for Conviviality. He's prescient about technology. He's prescient about socialism reflected through a more recent time. So, you know, the way that the, the globalised neoliberal sort of normalcy will call socialism going back to the the past like, oh don't go back to the 70s or whatever when of course it isn't because technology has changed and human communities have changed so his socialism is not industrial he's prescient about the environmental crisis and a kind of life outside the presumption that you work for someone else to get money and that's why you're allowed to live a comfortable life until you retire Illich was already there when I was like 13 years old in the 80s there's a funny other connection that came up in my head with a much more recent book that lots of people read and said was amazing, which was Sapiens, the Yuval Noah Harari book, where he pointed out how much of what we take for granted as normal is just human ideas. So much of human culture and civilization is nothing more than an imagined idea. Money is just an idea. Oh, yeah. Feminism is just an idea. Yeah. Um, anything, democracy is just an idea. All of these things are just ideas. Once you've got an idea that everyone's sort of decided is normal, it's very hard to climb out of that normalcy. And the reason I'm thinking of that is one of Illich's great strengths is thinking outside the box <laughs> and just describing the possible, how much more equitable, how much more sustainable it can be if we just make what are actually very subtle shifts in our ideas, but they are still mind-blowing. I think it's great. It's not dissimilar to what we've just been saying about behavioural shifts as well. No. We're all just agreeing with each other, which is nice. I like it. I don't think I've explained any of it very well, but I've enjoyed trying and I'm really enjoying the book. So the book is Even Illich, Tools for Conviviality, which was originally published in 1973, but I'm reading a, a 2009 British reprint of some kind. Boobity boobity boo. Nice. We're done. We're right coming up to it. Still hour. got a few places on my refigure event, which is coming up on the 21st of November, and you can find out details either on my website, which is refigure.co.uk or refigure.co.uk, or on Eventbrite. Woohoo! Please like us. Like and subscribe and tell your friends. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, especially you and oh, you yeah. and you and you and you and you and you. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. So my proposal is we finish the season and then we do some specials through Christmas or whatever and then we start another season next year. What do you reckon? Perfect. Perfecto. 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 Zip it. Zip it. Uh, this episode didn't deserve a pop. Oh. Bye.